Farming with Nature is proudly brought to you by SSK. Work together, win together. Welcome to episode four of the Conservation Agriculture podcast series. My name is Andrew Ardington and I'm from the Regenerative Agriculture Association of Southern Africa. My co-host is Henk De Beer. In episode four, entitled Minimal Mechanical Soil Disturbance, Henk and I will be chatting with Rent Smith, a researcher from the Western Cape Department of Agriculture in Conservation Agriculture Systems. In this episode, we will explore the history of ploughing, the evolution of no-till via the development of the no-till planter, which enabled farmers to get away from having to prepare a seed bed in order to be able to plant. We will also delve into the soil health implications of this. Renz, can you tell us a bit about ploughing and our love of ploughing? A lot of people tell you, why don't you want to plough? Because my dad ploughed and we've ploughed for centuries, so why do you want to change that now? Firstly, it's quite expensive to plough. Although you have the machinery, it's not that easy to pull a plough through the soil, especially if it's dry before seeding. You have to wait until you have enough rain to get into the soil with a plough, whereas if you don't have to plough, you can plant earlier and do it in a shorter time frame. A lot of the people that has already converted to no-till or not disturbing the soil with a plough, if they plough one year, they see a response in terms of an increase in yield. And they say, why do you have to completely stop ploughing if you still get a benefit if you plough for one year? The key in that is, it's a short-term response and it's only for one year. And it makes sense because Ploughing puts a lot of oxygen into the soil for a short period of time, burning a lot of your nutrients out, including your carbon. And the burnout of that nutrients make a lot of stuff available to the plant for one season. But then you lost all those stuff. You're not going to get it back within one year of not ploughing. So you're, it's a short-term increase in some cases, but a long decrease in yield so you have to be careful when you just look at a single thing you're doing to a living ecosystem and get a response it's a short-term response and not necessarily going to work over the long term interesting enough andrew i think you said it the first instinct when you want to plant something in the garden is to take the fork and go plow plow the, the soil caught my attention you are to loosen up the soil and it's a bad instinct to have as such because when you loosen up soil it doesn't necessarily stays loosened what happens when the first rain or water falls onto that loose soil what is the problem because it actually in most of the cases plowing leads to compaction because if you loosen up the soil the whole time up to a specific depth every year, the only thing you're doing is if you take dirt and you throw it into a sieve and you shake it, all the fine particles settles through the sieve and ends up at the bottom. So if you plow, all the fine particles go down onto the level where you stop plowing. 
and it settles there and it forms a crust and your roots can't grow through it. So you think you're loosening up the soil and you're doing that for the first few moles up until the layer you stop and there you create, they call it a plowing pan, but it's an impenetrable layer for the roots. So you're actually compacting the soil by disturbing it. In general, you can't fix soil with iron. In some cases, you can use it to alleviate the problem, but you have to look at what has caused the compaction over the long term. If you're driving over a road every day and you plow it and you continue driving over it, you're not alleviating the problem. You're just wasting your money with the plow. You have to stop the reason why your soil compacted rather than trying to alleviate it with a plow. On that specific subject, if you're going into a no-till system, you want to stop plowing and just placing the seeds into the soil, not taking the fork when you go to the garden. It would be a good thing to alleviate the plow pan, going in a bit deeper with a ripper once off and just breaking layers in the soil. But then you must stop plowing, otherwise you're going to get the same problem again. So you can use it. It's not always wrong. A lot of people that have stopped plowing for a lot of years say they have compaction layers. They feel they have to plow again. I'm not saying it's wrong. Just make sure. Don't believe the guy selling the plow that you have a layer in your soil. If you physically know there's a layer and dig a hole and see there's a layer, you have a reason why you can plow it once off or rip it once off but you have to make sure yourself and not just accept that it's there or do it because you think it's going to help make sure you have a problem before addressing it so you mentioned ripping and for a lot of people listening to this they won't know what that means what is the difference between ripping and plowing turn over the whole soil profile so it's like taking a shovel and putting the top soil beneath and mixing the whole profile with a plow where as a ripper it's just a tine or a shaft going into the soil just breaking up the compaction but not necessarily mixing all the soil so your top soil stays on top your subsoil stays down under you're just breaking the layers if there is layers and once again, you must know what formed the layers before you break them up and prevent them from coming back. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so I mean, compaction is a problem in many aspects of agriculture. In nature, compaction is not stopped or dealt with by plowing or ripping, but rather by organic matter opening up soil. And so the process of plowing and that reduces our organic matter and it really is counterproductive in a sense. Yeah, so it's quite a negative cycle because organic matter acts as a sponge in the sense it absorbs a lot of stuff. But if you have a sponge on top of your soil and you drive over it, it absorbs the weight of the stuff driving over the soil. So you need the carbon to have that resilience in your soil. But the two things I think personally has the biggest negative effect on soil carbon is fertilizer and tillage. So if you apply a lot of nitrogen, you're going to burn out your carbon in the soil. And if you plow the soil, you're going to burn out that organic matter leading to compaction. And then you have to plow again. So it's wise to start off minimizing your plowing 
reducing the amount of tillage you use to increase the carbon content and make your soil resilient over a period of time. It doesn't have to happen in one step. If you use the plow, you can go to a tiny implement that uses shafts that doesn't meet the whole soil profile. Or instead of using a fork to dig up the whole garden, just make a small hole to plant your plants and gradually reduce the amount of tillage until you have enough carbon in the soil loosening up the soil that you don't have to till anymore. You mentioned briefly that the nitrogen uses up the carbon. Can you just say a sentence or two on carbon-nitrogen ratios and what that actually means? The majority of stuff is based on a carbon-nitrogen ratio. So it's based on plants and animals and humans. Most people, if you tell them you have to eat some carbohydrates or fats combined with protein, you know why, because you need the protein to grow. You need the carbohydrates for energy. And the same is for soil microbes. But instead of protein, they use nitrogen. So a nice steak for you would be a bit of nitrogen for a microbe. And carbs or slice of bread for a human in microbe terms would be cellulose or fiber in plants. So microbes in the soil need both of them. They can't just eat protein or nitrogen. They can't just eat fiber or carbohydrates. So if you apply a lot of nitrogen, they need some carbohydrates or fiber. So they're going to eat the carbon in the soil, reducing the amount of carbon you have available. So you have to take that into account. The other negative thing of nitrogen, if you apply it to soil, it leads to acidity, so you lower the pH. But yeah, that's chemical. It doesn't have anything to do with the microbes. But it's just the microbes need a balanced diet. So if you apply an unbalanced diet, they're going to balance it out by using the carbon in the soil. Getting back to the plowing, listed a few reasons as to why we shouldn't be doing it. Why are we doing it? Once again, your father did it. It's part of your DNA of plowing. It's nice to have the big tractor running through the field smelling the soil when you're plowing it. And if you're raised in a system where that is the norm, that is all you know, and you think that's the only way you can produce crops, in actual fact, you can produce higher yields without plowing. And there were first no herbicide and a lot of people didn't have the knowledge they have now and all the tools available they had now. And a short-term fix was by plowing the fields, applying a lot of fertilizers and getting a yield in return. But that's not necessarily the correct way of doing it. And we only know that now where we have newer machineries that can do it better than what a plow could have done it. You can't just sow the seed on top of the soil. So if you don't have anything else, you plow it to get the seed into the soil. But now we have better technology, better machinery to do the same job and get better results even than worth plowing. I think also, Andrew, that nice level seed bed that you get after you plowed in people's mind, in previous generations' mind, that was the perfect seed bed. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, definitely. The tilth, as they call it, to get that perfect bed in which to put your seeds. 
And so really what the invention of the no-till planter is, is that enabled us to not have to have that in order to put our seeds down. Yeah, so the general perspective was if the seedbed looks nice, it's nice for seeds. When in actual fact, if you want seed to germinate, the ideal thing is seed-soil contact. So you want soil around the seed. And the way people did it is they plowed the field, so then it's only soil you can see. If you spread seeds on top of that and just scratch them into the loose soil, you have soil everywhere around the seed. But as soon as it rains, you have crust forming on top of the soil. The seeds struggle to get out and your water can't penetrate into the soil when you're doing it on the conventional way. When you use a plant that just places the seeds underneath the surface of the soil and just pressing it, the soil onto the seed again, compacting just a little furrow where you have the seeds into the soil, you also have good seed soil contact, but you also have good water penetration when it starts to rain because you didn't disturb the whole surface. Because you shouldn't just think about soil as a medium in which you plant seeds. In actual fact, if you have a good imagination, you can see it as a block of flats underneath the soil with microbes living everywhere in that block of flats with passages running up and down in the soil. The moment you disturb it with a plow, you disturb all the rooms, all the passages, and everything has to start off from the beginning again. Whereas if you can just place the seeds into that functioning system without disturbing it, the system carries on doing the benefits they do but the moment you plow it, you disturb the whole system. All the small holes and the previous year's roots are gone. Whereas if you leave it as is, just place the seed there, the plant can use the existing holes and crevices in the soil that was formed naturally and by previous plant roots and actually quickly go into the subsoil, which previously it couldn't do if you ploughed it and created a plough pan. So one of the forms of soil life that is damaged most by tillage is fungi, mycorrhizal fungi specifically. Can you tell us anything more on that? Okay, so mycorrhizal fungi, or the focus is on mycorrhizal fungi, but you have a lot of fungus working in the soil. Most people don't know it, but the biggest and the oldest living organism on planet, as far as I know, is mycorrhizal fungi or fungi that grows on tree roots. And everyone sees fungus, or in general, they see it as a negative thing. You can eat a mushroom, so that's definitely not a negative fungus. If you get the right one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's debatable. <laughs> what the right one is for different people. But the mycorrhizal fungi forms, it's like a fine root on top of roots. And it can connect different plant species. So you can have a fungi going from one plant species to a different plant species and transport nutrients between those different plants and it actually, if it doesn't connect to a different plant species, it can just expand the roots of your existing plants. So you can get nutrients from a bigger area 
with the same plants if you have mycorrhizal fungi growing on them. And the mycorrhizal fungi, they use sugars from the plant to extract nutrients out of the soil, which the plants can't do without the mycorrhizal fungi. And as soon as you start plowing, you destroy those strands of mycorrhizal fungi that does the work for you. It's not just physical properties of the soil that's negatively influenced by tillage, but even more so the organisms living in that soil. Not just bacteria, but fungi and the whole ecosystem. In the process of all of this, there's a lot of death and release of carbon. And a large amount of the carbon that we've put into the atmosphere has, over the last many thousands of years, come from plowing. There's endless amount of negative surrounding the burn out of carbon into the soil. So the first being putting a lot of carbon dioxide into the air. If you plow the soil because the carbon is going out of the soil where it's in the form of pure carbon and it combines with oxygen forming carbon dioxide which is negative for the environment and you lose all the benefits you had with carbon in the soil because if you want a resilient farming system the first thing you need is soil carbon because soil carbon holds on to water and nutrients. So if you don't have carbon in the soil, you would have more leaching because the water just runs through the soil because the carbon can't, or you don't have carbon to hold on to that water. And it takes nutrients with it because you don't have the carbon to hold on to the nutrients. So a lot of people know, but you can use carbon filters to filter water and you can take chemical components out of the water and clear chemical components out of air as well with a carbon filter. And that carbon holds on to all the elements. Now, if you have, in our case, on our trials, over the last few years, we've gathered about 40 tons of carbon per hectare. And that relates to a massive industrial carbon filter, holding on to all the nutrients, preventing that carbon from going into the estuaries, waterways, and off of your farm, because you can use those nutrients to produce food and to produce a harvest. Whereas if you don't have that carbon, you can't hold on to all the elements and to the water combined with that. So there's endless benefits surrounding carbon and carbon buildup. And the worst thing you can do is to plow the soil, destroying your soil carbon. So the golden rule is minimum, preferably no soil disturbance. Yeah, as far as possible, if it's not necessary, don't disturb your soil and try to plant your crops without disturbing the soil and the environment because there's a lot of negative effects going out of that. And if you have to disturb the soil, make sure you're doing the right disturbance, if you can name it that, and you're alleviating the problem and the cause of the problem, because you don't want to do it again if not necessary. I'm sure we'll go into other issues later on, but soil science is such a complicated subject. I've learned in my little bit of knowledge that I have about it. Can the damage of destruction of soil, texture, structure, organic material, 
after heavy mechanical working over a period of time, can it be repaired and how long would it take to repair your soil if possible? It takes a lot of time but I'm sure you can repair it and there are cheats if you can call it that like cover crops. You can do it a lot faster when doing cover crops. So I normally say if you really have to disturb soil, please just plant a cover crop. It's not going to alleviate all the problems you get, but you're going to go quicker back to a better soil when you plant a cover crop to build carbon again, get diversity, get life into that soil. Because except for the loss of carbon you have in the soil when disturbing it, it's a loss of life because you lose a lot of positive microbes and the bad bug actually likes it because they don't have competition. So it's going to take time to rebuild that soil. It depends on where you are. The more rain you get, normally it's easier to repair your soils, but erosion is also an issue when you disturb the soil. So depending on the degree of disturbance and how degraded the soil is, it's going to take longer, but I'm sure you can get it back to where it was. Or in some cases, it's going to take really long, but I believe you can get it better again. And there are tools to help you to get quicker there, like the cover crops. I often hear that it doesn't work on my soils. So can you give us a bit of insight into the different types of soils and why people, mostly in very sandy areas, say it doesn't work on my soils? You can't do minimum till here or no till. Just to get a general idea of how adaptable the system are and where you can use no till, a lot of the principles we're using originated in South America, North America and also Australia. And we brought all those principles to South Africa and we're applying it and it's working. So the chance that the practices brought in from Brazil can work in the Swartland in South Africa. If you're just in another region in the Western Cape, it's probably going to work. There's maybe going to be other limitations in your specific area, in your specific soils. We're currently using zero till in an area with the sandy soils with less than 0.3% clay, less than 0.3% carbon. So it's like white beach sand and we're doing zero till there and we're doing it in clay soils. So we've tried it in the majority of soil types in the Western Cape. Till now, we haven't found a soil that it doesn't work in. But as I said, each soil has its own limitations. You have disc planters, you have tine planters. A disc is even lower disturbance than a tine. In some cases, you're going to be able to move quicker to a disc seeder compared to a tine seeder. But there are local manufacturers manufacturing tools for our conditions and they really work so you just have to find the right tool for your environment and you may have different limitations to the neighbor but i'm sure you can apply no tillage in the western cape irrespective of your specific environment and soil historically there's been resistance to change some of that has been cultural some of that is long deep-seated belief in the importance and the need to plow create tilth etc there are other reasons though why people are reluctant to change can you go into a few of those 
Okay, so one of the big factors still limiting people to convert to a disc seeder, which is zero toll compared to a tine seeder, is some herbicides you can use on a tine planter, which you can't use with a disc planter. And those same herbicides you can use while plowing. So they're scared of moving away from the specific herbicide and thus doesn't want to convert actually a lot of the people in the drier areas believe they can't go to no-toll because they have too little moisture where in actual fact no-toll would preserve more water so you'll it's of greater importance in a drier area compared to where you have more moisture but specifically the herbicides if weeds are your problem and that's why you don't want to convert to minimum or zero toll, then you have to change your crop rotation system to address the weeds because the weeds didn't get there because of zero toll. You're scared to go to zero toll because of the weeds, but something is causing the problem and it's not the zero toll. So you have to address the source of that concern rather than it being a barrier for you to move forward. In terms of the costs of a farmer wanting to transition from normal tillage to practicing no-till and ultimately conservation agriculture, are those a barrier? It is a barrier. As I said, luckily we have people locally manufacturing the machinery. Previous, that was um, big limitations because everything had to be imported or built on the farm. But we are lucky in the instance where we have different manufacturers and you have different sizes of machinery. So you can start off with a smaller machine, trying it on a part of the farm, adapting to the system. You're always going to learn because every farm is different. Everyone has different limitations. So starting off with a smaller planter, applying it, getting used to the system and making the economics work for you before you convert your whole farm to no-till or zero-till. But we definitely have different options and some of the farmers are even using old machinery and just putting no-till units onto those machinery because that's also possible. Some of the guys manufacturing no-till farmers now previously manufactured no-till drills which they only planted in plowed soil you can put the units on there or some of the old plowing equipment can also be equipped with no-till units so there are many ways converting to no-till or zero-till it doesn't have to be expensive you don't have to buy the newest biggest best machine to start off with if you can, it's nice, but it's not always possible. Yeah, and if you don't use mechanical management for your weed control, on the other side, you'll have to use your crop sprayer more often. So there's also investment in a crop sprayer to compensate, if I'm correct. Yeah, but that is true. But normally, tillage can't completely control your weeds. So you would always use, if you're using chemicals to terminate weed you're still going to use that but once again you have to have your whole conservation agriculture system in place because if you have the worst combination of 
planting is best soil with a zero-till disc or a zero-till planter. You have to have cover when you plant with a zero-till planter. So you have to have cover on the soil and then for the weeds you have to have crop rotation to combat your grassy weeds in your broadleaf crop and then your broadleaf weeds in your grass crops. So crop rotation helps, soil cover helps and once again you have to have all the principles to get the benefits. You can't just go to no-till with monoculture and bare fields because then it's not going to work. So aside from these long-term soil benefits, and as we've discussed earlier in various podcasts, there was significant adoption due to the improved holding of moisture in the soil. But what other benefits, aside from these soil benefits, are there to adopting a no-till system? One of the big things, specifically in our environment, we all know we have variable climatic conditions. You're going to have dry years, you're going to have wet years. And as soon as you convert to a no-till system that holds better onto water, preserves the water better, you're going to have a more resilient system. You can have more constant yields or stable yields. It's not going to vary that much between variable climatic conditions. If you have a dry spell within your growing season, you're going to handle that better because you preserve soil moisture better. The other benefit of going to a no-till or a zero-till system is the consumption of fossil fuels or energy use. It just makes sense if you don't have to drag a plow through the soil and you can pull a no-till machine on top of the soil surface just placing the seeds into the soil you're going to consume a lot less diesel per hectare you will use a lot less fuel to plant with a no-till planter and the other benefit is you can use a bigger planter compared to the plow with the same tractor because you need less energy to pull it over the soil it's a lot quicker to plant with a no-till planter compared to a plow. In the end, with higher, more stable yields and using less energy, you're going to make more profit out of the no-till planter despite the initial cost of buying the planter. You'll get a bigger financial return in the end with less inputs. And if I'm correct, Rince, with the advantages of less erosion, you also get reduced water runoff. You keep the water right there better water infiltration and that makes the whole issue of contours irrelevant. In the past it was very important for, for most farmers to have contours and even the government subsidised farmers to make contours in the Southern Cape, I'm not sure about the Western Cape. A lot of the farmers are taking out their contours in the no-till systems. You have more production hectares, you're planting actually more soil because you don't have to have the contours once again using less diesel because you don't have that much overlap if you have a big square camp compared to a camp that's divided by three or four contours running through it making funny shapes and sizes so you're consuming less energy you have more land available not just the erosion that's not there you don't have all the nutrients going away in the water with the erosion 
So you have to apply less nutrients and your carbon is holding on to the nutrients you apply. So if your plant doesn't use everything, it's going to stay there till next year. Whereas if you don't have the structure, next year you're going to have to apply it from the start again or down in the river. So it just makes the whole system more resilient and just keeps the stuff that has to stay on the farm on the farm. And in terms of planting earlier and planting before rains come, is there a significant change in terms of the dates of planting? Yeah, so you can plant quite a bit earlier because you don't have to wait until you add. The people used to say you need 25 moles of rain before you can start plowing. And specifically in the Western Cape where we have a limited growing season, you don't actually have enough time to produce a crop, although we do it. Time is always of the essence and it's limited. The longer growing season you have, the higher production you can anticipate. So the fact that you can plant two or three weeks earlier because of the no-toll planters has a huge yield benefit as well. Now that's a big one, Andrew. We spoke about last year, 2022. And people say, but under normal conditions, conventional methods, we wouldn't have had a harvest. But the actual fact is, with 100 millimeters of rain, very little thereof during planting time. What would have happened, that farmers wouldn't have planted. So there wasn't even a chance to have a crop. In the end, they planted in dry soil with very little moisture because of the coverage and the texture and the quality of the soil. And with 100 millimeters of rain, they had a good to average yield. So it would have started with nobody that planted. And imagine the impact on a district with a situation like that. Your new harvester combine wouldn't have been used at all. Your new planter wouldn't have been used, but all that cost money. Yeah, so previously it was quite common to have a year where you couldn't have seeded your crops because of climatic conditions. If the rain was too late or the first rain was high volume of rain, if the soil is filled with water, you also can't plant it. So the opposite is also too wet and too dry, you can't plant. The other benefit of no-till planters is at the moment we can get up to 40, 50 mils of rain in a few days or in one day absorb all that water and within a short period of time we can go back onto the fields with tractors and apply fertilizers or spray or do what needs to be done whereas if it was a plowed field you would be out of that field for a month at some times if it gets wet because it turns into mud because you destroyed the soil structure and now you have the structure absorbing the water, channeling it down into the subsoil where you want it and around the roots. And the plant can use the water, but the soil doesn't turn into mud because it's an ecosystem now and not just a growing medium. And it sounds sensible to say I'm not going to plant because not enough moisture or it's too high risk. But I saw a lot of farmers financially struggling after a season like that 
because of their fixed costs and they don't take that into consideration. It's not as visible a cost, but all that very expensive equipment is of no use and it doesn't generate any income. And that's also a cost in the end of the financial year. Yeah, the problem is a farm is a running entity. You can't close down the farm for a year and go on holiday. There's still stuff that needs to happen. There's still stuff that needs to happen. Your maintenance still needs to happen. There's still people working on the farm. Yeah, and everything's going to continue within that season. So the only way you can have the business running is the business has to produce something. And the moment you stop planting, you stop producing. So it's not just breaking even if you're doing nothing, you're going backwards. So I suppose at the end of the day, we need to look what the results say. And you know, it appears definitely in the Western Cape that the results are a resounding success. The study that was done two years ago came back saying that there was 85% no-till in the Western Cape and a 51% full CA use in the Western Cape. So those numbers would indicate to us that not only do you as a researcher think this is a great idea, the farmers on the ground are also supporting this. Everyone's seen the benefits of using the no-till machinery. There's a lot of people in the Western Cape that you still have to convince to use a no-till planter because if they don't own a no-till planter, they can also see the benefits around them from all the neighboring farms getting the benefit of a no-till planter. Some of the people just struggle to get there, either financial or they believe in their practice. But it's definitely... The majority of farmers in the Western Cape are already convinced that no-till works. We just have to take into account that no-till is the first step or only one step in the whole process. And if you can see all the benefits from no-till, there's a lot of other stuff that can give similar benefits if you use the whole system and use nature to work for you instead of working against nature. Change is always difficult, so I suppose there are people that just can't make that switch to change. It's not easy, given the financial impact. But one farmer in our series that we filmed called Conservation Agriculture, he called it Survival Agriculture, because that made it possible for him to survive during difficult times. What a wonderful discussion. Many thanks, Rens, for your time and your insights. That brings us to the end of episode four. In episode 5, we will be exploring failing to yield. What are the limits of conservation agriculture? With Dr. Johann Strauss. Farming with Nature is proudly brought to you by SSK and Food Form Zanzi. If you are looking for a sustainable farming partner, then look no further than SSK. Visit ssk.co.za for more information.